I didn't go. There I went. Did you do that or did I do that? Okay. Um, we get to preach. I get to preach a sermon that is the um, the reason why that I that I preach this whole series. The purpose behind this series was to preach this sermon. And uh, I've shared the testimony before this week or this month, but I was at the um, Broken Bow, Oklahoma, doing a Men and Women of Action trip. And, and as I was there, I, I began to, um, I was sleeping. They, they exiled me to a, to a trailer. And everybody else slept in the church with access to, to a bathroom and all that stuff, and they put me out in a trailer. No, I volunteered. They did not kick me out there. I volunteered. But um, as, I was, as I was laying in bed one night, I woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning, as I do often. And I laid there in bed, and the, we the weirdest thought hit my mind. And it wasn't a scary thought, but I thought, what would it be like when I'm all by myself? What if the rapture happened? What if Jesus came back? And instantly, my thought didn't go to myself. My thought went to my cell phone. Yes, I'm not quite a millennial, but, you know, I, I may have a slight cell phone addiction. And, um, but my thought went to my cell phone, and here was my thought. Who would I not want to get a phone call from after the rapture? If it was bad enough that I missed the rapture, who is somebody I would not want to see them calling me? I instantly thought, what would I do? Well, if I called Beth, nobody would answer. I mean, that doesn't mean she went in rapture. She just never answers her phone. Uh, but I wouldn't want my boys calling me. I wouldn't want church members calling me. And it began to just roll in my mind, and, and I began to think about using the caller ID, and I laid out. I got up that next morning at breakfast and laid out all the sermons. As, as we've talked about screening calls and unanswered calls and answered calls. But it was all to get to this sermon. Whose number do you not want to see? Won't you open your Bibles with me? Matthew chapter 24, looking at verse 37 through 44. Reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible, this is what the Word of the Lord says. When the Son of Man returns... It will be like it was in Noah's days. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day your Lord, your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. 
you also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you and we praise you for your power. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your anointing, your grace, and your mercy. And Lord, I want you to send your victory into this service. Lord, allow me to preach this in a way that is understandable so that we can grab a hold of it and we can run. We can prepare our hearts, prepare our families, prepare our friends and our neighbors for your return. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Jesus here is teaching about the last days. Now, I want you to understand, while this may sound scary, it's not intended to be scary. It's intended to be informative. It's intended to prepare us. You know, I don't like it sometimes when somebody prepares me for something. There are times that people try to prepare me for something, and it sounds like they're scaring the daylights out of me. I had a vehicle, and I can't even remember the part, some axle piece that was going bad. And I went to the mechanic, and he said, it's going to cost about $600 to fix. And I was like, I'm poor. But then he begins to prepare me. He said, but you need to understand, if you don't fix this, it can break. And if it breaks, the wheel of your car is going to fall off. And it will cause you to only have three wheels. And three-wheeling don't work very well. It can cause an accident. It can cause you to hit somebody else. You could kill somebody. You could kill yourself. And I'm like, okay, 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 fix it. He wasn't trying to scare me. He was trying to let me understand that there are consequences to inaction. This morning, I'm not trying to scare anybody. But I do want you to understand there are consequences to inaction. The truth of the matter is we're going to talk about our hearts. But in the church world, we have a real problem. I didn't growl or mm. In the church world, we have a real problem. And that is that we are spiritually arrogant. We sing songs about how we can't wait to get to heaven. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Heaven's jubilee. Won't it be wonderful? Won't it be great? I can't wait. I, I'm excited about going to heaven. But yet, if we sing those songs and we talk about wanting to make heaven our home and walk on streets of gold and, and I want to sit in your presence, if we sing those songs and say those phrases, and yet we don't evangelize, we don't witness, we don't tell our family, our neighbors, our co-workers about Jesus Christ, what we're saying is, I'm happy to go to heaven, and I don't care where you go. I'm happy to get mine. 
If you can figure it out, you can get yours. But I got news for you. We need to start understanding who are the people in our lives that we love. Who are the people in our lives that we say, we've got to do whatever it takes. If I've got to ask them about Jesus 479 times, don't stop at 478. If I've got to buy them breakfast to get them to come to church and one church service doesn't do it, if I've got to do that every week for 52 weeks, I'm going to work some overtime and buy some breakfast because I am not satisfied to say if I could look at my phone after the God, I'm going to tell you, if you've witnessed to them once and they didn't respond, I'm going to tell you right now that, that I'm going to tell you right now, I'm hearing an echo. <laughs> If you've witnessed it once and the rapture happens, guess who they're going to call? No, not Ghostbusters. It's a good answer, though. They're going to call you. There's a lot of people in the world going to call you after the rapture because you just weird. And, and, and dear Lord, I got to see if that weird guy is gone. And if he's gone, then we know we're in trouble. But they'll call you then. They'll call you... Oh, Furman's phone will blow up. It'll just stop working. My phone, my phone will ring off the hook because I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor. First of all, they're going to want to know if I made it or not. Let's see if, that, see if it worked out for him. They're, 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 they're going to be calling you. And we need to prepare our hearts, and we need to prepare our desire to prepare their hearts. Now, one of the things that we've got to do first is we've got to understand that we can't sit around and do nothing. We don't know when this is going to happen. You, you see, when I read this first part of this scripture, it says, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up till the time that Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. They were just living life. I have two pictures on this slide. That are life changing. One of them is from April the 19th, 1995. I was living in Oklahoma City on April the 19th, 1995. My wife that morning had drove herself to work, which was unusual. I usually took her. That was back when she could drive and work, for that matter. Praise God. Uh, but she had drove herself to work. I had gotten up a little bit later than I got up about the time she was leaving. I'll never forget that morning as long as I live. It's the details. 
I went in the kitchen. I pulled out a box of Fruity Pebbles. Oh, hallelujah, somebody say Fruity Pebbles. I filled up an oversized bowl of Fruity Pebbles and milk. I sat down in the living room floor. Back in those days, I never sat on furniture. I almost always sat on the floor. I sat on the floor. Now I don't get back up. But I sat down in the floor, began to eat my cereal, and began to watch Andy Griffith. Mm, love me some Andy Griffith. I'm sitting there eating my Fruity Pebbles, watching Andy Griffith just before 9 o'clock. A little after 9 o'clock, I heard a noise. Got up, looked out the window. There was a moving truck in the parking lot of our apartments. I thought they just backed into that wall. Went and got my coat, got my keys. I probably didn't get a coat. It was April. I went and got my keys, went out and got in my car, and began to go to work. As I pulled out of our driveway of our apartment, you could see the skyline of Oklahoma City. And I saw white smoke going up. Let's see, it was black smoke and then white. I could see the black smoke as it turned to white from the skyline. I immediately turned on news radio and began to hear that a bomb had went off in downtown Oklahoma City. Although I worked as a, at a job selling cell phones, I was not yet rich enough to have one because in those days you had, to be, you had to be pretty well off to have a phone. Not everybody had them. When I got to work, I got a hold of Beth. She says, did you hear that? I said, no, but I've, seen, I've heard the news where she was four miles north of the bomb. She not only heard it, she felt it. Dust from the ceiling tile fell down on her desk. For the next several days, we lived hearing stories. Oh, Cassie Bunnell. Famous picture of a fireman carrying her out of the building. I went to youth group. Believe the bomb went off on a Tuesday morning, if I remember correctly. Youth group was on Wednesday night. I went to youth group. I still had kids in my youth group that didn't know where their parents were. I preached from this passage. That night, 32 young people gave their heart to the Lord. I've preached a sermon here before called 901. And it's about this bombing. If I was to go back and look at my records, I've had more people saved preaching a sermon about this bombing than any other sermon I have. That morning, everything was normal. That morning, parents went and dropped their kids off at daycare like it was nothing. People went and sat down at their desk. They were getting their first morning cup of coffee. They were still laughing and talking about what had happened the night before. But at 901, their life, Oklahoma City's life, and on a small degree, America's life changed. Oklahoma City will never be the same as it was pre-bombing. It's different. Those of us that live there, we're different. You don't believe it? 
be with me sometime when I go to an office building. If I see a, 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 U, a U-Haul truck or a rider truck in front of it, I will do everything I can to avoid going in that building. It's not crazy. That's what's been implanted in my head. Some of you didn't experience that one quite the same. The bottom picture. September the 11th, 2001. Again, a day that I'll never forget. Got up that morning, took Michael to school. Michael, not Michael, excuse me, Anthony. Anthony was in pre-K. He was a little bitty guy. And, and he may have been in kindergarten. Was it kindergarten or pre-K? I don't know. Kindergarten? He was in kindergarten. And, and he took him to school, came back. Beth was getting ready for work. Still working. Man, I love these stories where you still work because you're still making more money than I did. Hallelujah. Um, but I come back. Now, most of you know Beth. She's a little, like, you know, structured and, and by the book. And I get back, and it was a gorgeous day. On the East Coast, it was absolutely beautiful. And my wife said, we should pull Anthony out of school. I should call in and tell him I'm not coming to work, and we should go have a picnic. My wife wants my kid to skip school and her to skip work so we can go have a picnic? Well, that's weird. And and we were laughing about what a great day it was, how beautiful it was. And I don't remember why I walked outside the front door and my neighbor was standing outside. He said, did you hear about the plane crash? What plane crash? He said, a plane crashed into a building in New York and I went in and turned the news on. Just before Beth was ready to leave for work, this scene came across my screen. We got in the car in Baltimore, Maryland, began to take Beth to work. And on, at, right after I dropped her off, I'm listening to the news, and all of a sudden a plane crashes into the Pentagon in D.C. Now we've got planes in New York and planes in D.C., and we're right in the middle. America changed that day. Do you understand that we by and large judge a whole generation by whether they were pre or post 911? The millennials, part of it's the changing of the millennial, but part of it is how they relate to 911. Do you realize that Can anybody remember going to the airport and going back and sitting with people flying out before they left? It's a long, long time ago. You you, you remember when you didn't have to wait in line at TSA to get into the air? You see, that all changed because of 911. Our life, that morning, everything was normal. That afternoon, nothing was normal. I'll never forget thinking, will we ever get back to the America I knew? And we got to a new normal. And we don't even think about how much things have changed 
until we start remembering things from before 911. Pastor, what does the Oklahoma City bombing and 9-11 have to do with God? I'm going to tell you, when the bomb went off in Oklahoma City and I was preparing for that youth service, God led me to this passage of Scripture, as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They were going to banquets and parties and church services, and they were going to work, and they were living life. And they did not know that it was about to change. They did not know what was about to happen. I got news for you. God laid in my spirit that when that bomb went off in Oklahoma City and then again in in, in September 11th, he laid in my spirit that it was a small picture of what was going to happen around the world. Can you imagine what's going to happen when all of a sudden around the world every Christian is taken away? As most of us would like to believe, and, I, and I'm not going to get into the discussion, but most of us believe, or at least hope, that children won't be held responsible. Can you imagine if every kid's taken away? That means every kid of unsaved households could be taken away. There's going to be mass panic. Everything's going to be different. All of a sudden, they're going to realize that the thief He's going to come like a thief. He's going to come unexpectedly. They're going to understand that you lived one way, but if you wasn't prepared. Again, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you. We've got to pay attention to where we're at. We have to live now prepared to to be with Christ instead of being left by Christ. Can you imagine what would have happened? There was chatter. There were investigations. In both situations, Oklahoma and and September 11th. But in those days, they didn't know how to take them. They didn't know how to process them. They didn't know how to stop them. I'm telling you, the Bible has laid out a pattern. When you read prophecy in the Bible, it is no longer like reading a, a, a fairy tale or a, or, a, or a fantasy book. It's now like reading the newspaper. We are living life, but there is coming a day that's going to change everything. There's coming a day that's going to change. So now let me ask you the question. Whose number do you not want to see? On your caller ID. Is it your family? Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Luke chapter 17, verse 34. Another writer writing about the story of Christ. And Jesus says there, That night two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. I remember hearing my father preach about this. And he said he used to, when he was growing up, he'd hear that verse and he'd go home and he'd pray, God, I love my brother, but if we are sleeping together, if you come, let him stay. (laughs) I think dad misunderstood. He thought it had to be one or the other. It couldn't have both of them. But... 
Where's your family? Your loved ones? Are you satisfied with your family's life? Are you satisfied with their choices? Are you willing to keep lying to yourself and say God will understand? Are you ready to grab a passion? I'm not, don't go get stupid. Yeah, I'll say it. Don't go get stupid. Well, my family, they just don't do right. I just disowned them. No, that's not a godly thing to do. You go love them. You go show them. You don't judge. I know a lot of people. Oh, I want my family to be saved. You evil. You got a devil. You're a devil. You're just a devil. You do everything wrong. That ain't, that ain't going to win anybody. She's going, thanks, Pastor. <laughs> you know what helps? Man, I love you. I want you to be with me forever. How can I help you? It's passion. It's love. It's letting God do miracles in your life, bringing glory to Him, and they see what God does in you, and they want what God has in you. You got to love. We got to have enough compassion that when we don't agree, we can tell them in love I love you, you're my family. You'll always be my family. I'm never walking away from you. You're always there. I don't agree with what you're doing. Can we look at the word together? And, 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 and maybe I can grow or maybe you can grow, but let, let, let's figure this out. This life is so short. Don't be satisfied. Oh, but pastor... They tell us not to talk about politics or religion at Thanksgiving. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Politics may not get you anywhere. But if we don't have some, some, some conversations about relationship, but you, now I agree with you. I don't want to talk about religion. But if we can have some conversation about relationship, the love of God, the, the, what it takes, the good news. If we do that in love, it's going to do nothing but bring us together. We've got to make a way for our family. Whose number do you not want to see on your caller ID? Is it your coworker? Again, two men will be working together in, a, in one field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour on, at a mill, and one will be taken, the other left. Who do you work with that if Jesus wants to come today knows just enough about your faith that they're going to want to find out if you have an answer? If they know that much about your faith, if they know enough to know they said they was a Christian. And some people are talking on the news that Christians 
said something like this will be happening. Now, understand, the news is not going to be saying this was the rapture. The news is not going to be saying that. If, if I was to hazard a guess, the news is going to be saying it was an alien invasion. If, if I was to have, wager a guess. That's the problem with things like History Channel and all that stuff. They have convinced people that aliens are more to do with faith than, than God is. It's the devil laying the groundwork for the greatest lie. Oh, that's, I'm going to get off of that. But if they know enough about you that they call you. When I worked at Walmart, second day I walked in, I didn't say nothing to anybody about who I was. But I had people coming up to me, you're the preacher, aren't you? Yeah. They begin to ask me questions. They know who you are. And if they know enough to know that you believe, and they find themselves stuck here after the rapture, and they begin to call you, how will you explain to God that they knew enough to know I was a Christian, but I never told them enough to bring them with me? See, we got to get a passion about us. See, th this whole, well, I'm just too shy. This whole, well, I, I, I don't want to, I, I, I can't talk about that at work. Well, it's amazing all the other junk you talk about at work. What happens when we truly begin to understand, I don't want to see them miss the rapture. Whose number do you not want to see on your caller ID? Your family, your coworkers, your neighbor. That person that lives next door that you wave at every morning. Or the neighbor that sits next to you in the church. When was the last time that we reached out a hand and just said, listen, I know a way for life to be better. I know a way. I know somebody. I know somebody that can change everything. Because what I don't want to happen, I don't want that person that sat next to me in church to call me 10 minutes after the rapture. I don't want that person that lived next to me for 20 years. I cut their grass. We talked over the fence line. But I never told them about Christ. We have to gain a passion. We have to gain a desire to not let anybody miss what we so happily look forward to. We have to gain a hunger that we begin to say, I am not satisfied to let anybody I know miss the rapture because I didn't tell them about it. 
I don't want anybody to miss a relationship with Jesus because I never took the time to step outside of myself and say, I know somebody who can give you eternal life. I don't care if it's family. I don't care if it's a co-worker. I don't care if it's a neighbor. We have to become passionate enough that we say, I want to tell everybody instead of being comfortable enough to say, I want to go to church three times a week, sit on my pew, and say nothing and wait for somebody else to do it. I got news for you, folks. It's not my job to witness to your family, your coworkers, and your neighbors. It's yours. It's my job to encourage you to go witness to your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers. Then we have one more person we need to look at. You. I don't want to see my caller ID. Because as much as I love my phone, I don't think I'm taking it with me to heaven. Praise God. I don't want to see my... But how committed to our relationship are us, are us, are we? How committed to our relationship with Christ are we if all we want to do is go to church? We don't read our Bibles. We don't pray. We don't witness. We don't live right. Daily but for tomorrow. I filmed it this morning. And it was from 1 John, and he says, I'm not writing you because you don't know the truth. But because you know the difference between the truth and the lies. And what he was saying is, I'm not writing because you don't know what to do. I'm writing to you because you don't do what you know to do. You know, I'm writing to you because you should know. Oh, pastor. I come to church and I pay my tithe. When was the last time you read your word? When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you witnessed? When was the last time you were benevolent and sacrificial? Not to the church, to your neighbors. When was the last time you stopped an argument by bringing peace into a situation instead of insisting that you're right. See, all those things matter. Doing what is godly matters. We say we want to do this, we say we want to do that, but we don't want people to talk to us about our habits and our addictions. We don't want people to talk to us about our lifestyle and our choices. But all of it plays in. Yes, I'm talking about the rapture. Yes, I'm talking about the return of Christ. And by the way, just in case you haven't figured it out, yes, I still believe in the rapture of the church. And yes, I still believe in the return of Christ. I know it's become popular not to believe in that, but I still do. But I got news for you. It's more than that. It's about eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not die, but should have eternal life. I'm telling you something, church. We need to start paying attention. Where are we at? And how are we preparing those in our life Today was exciting. We don't have a house full, but we've got more than we've had lately. I leaned back to Brian. I said, I got people who here haven't been here in months. I said, don't get a big head. But you know why I get annoyed when our crowd numbers go down? It's not because there's empty seats. It's because there's full seats that hasn't brought somebody with them. You know, the biggest concern I have as a pastor is the fact that we maintain rather than grow. You know why we maintain rather than grow? Because we're too caught up with being inside these walls. We're too caught up with sitting on our pews. It's time that we start understanding that if we're going to keep our phone silenced when the rapture is over, that means that we have to have reached everybody in our family. Mm, you got a lot of work to do, Helen. I ain't even talking about Howard's family yet. You just yeah, you got a lot of work to do. Let me tell you something. I pick on Howard and Helen, but every one of us is the same way. What do we do, Pastor? We love on them. Well, Pastor, I don't even talk to all my cousins or my brothers and sisters. Maybe you need to build that relationship back. Maybe you need to call them. Maybe you need to set up a time. Fellowship has to come. Relationship has to come before evangelism can happen. Get the relationship. And then with the relationship comes the ability to say, man, I love you. But what do you think about faith? We need, we need to build each other up. Oh, you're important. But sometimes you're off track. We need to get together. We need to get in the Word. We need to build each other up. We got to we got to reach out. we got to reach out and say, I need you. You need me. we got to talk to our neighbor about more than the, how well the grass is growing this year. we got to get a passion to win the lost. we got to get a passion to witness. And if we, I'm convinced, if we get the passion to win the lost, it will drive us to watch our life continuously. In prayer, in Bible reading, in, in seeking his will, and in, in following his statutes, and obeying him, and living within his hand. My goal is to have my phone 
silent. I know there will be no tears in heaven. I can't understand that. If I know that there's somebody that's close to me that doesn't make it, I can't understand how there will be no tears in heaven. But my goal is to have those people that are close to me, those people that God places in my life. My goal is to have them with me. And we need to strive for that in everything that we do. Amy, I want you to come and play something. I want to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not doing this so you can hide. Trust me, I would give you a chance publicly in a few moments. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Tommy, I'm living life. But if everything changes this afternoon, whether it be by rapture, by car wreck, or by physical disaster, whether it be by the end of time or the end of my life, everything ended today. I don't know if I'd make it to heaven. Pastor, I understand what you're saying. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about my coworkers. I'm worried about my friends. But right now, I'm more worried about me. You can't reach them until you've reached you. If you're here today, it means you're one of my friends. Somebody God has put you in my life. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss the victory. I don't want you to miss the power of living for God. And I sure don't want you to miss the glory and the, and the celebration of an eternal life in the presence of God. I beg you today, if there's anything in you that says if everything changed today, if the Lord came back this afternoon, if, if I died this afternoon, my eternity is in question. Don't wait. But right now, slip your hand up and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Several hands. Anybody else? I need you. I need you to step out by faith and say, I need God. Because I don't want you calling me when it's too late for me to help. You can put your hands down. Second part of this altar call is if you're standing, if you're sitting in this place right now, and you have a family member. You have a co-worker. You have neighbors. Physical neighbors are just close friends. And you know they're not living right. Or maybe you're just not even sure. But you say, Pastor, I don't want them calling me when it's too late. I want to reach out to them now. But I don't know how. I'm afraid. I need courage. 
God can give you that courage. If you've got a family member, a neighbor, a, a co-worker that doesn't know God, I want you to lift your hand up. Some of you are lying. Every hand in this house should be up. Here's what I want to do. If you raise your hand that you need to give your heart to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to come to this side of the sanctuary. You can stand, you can kneel. We're going to come with, come over. We're going to pray with you. We're going to lead you in the salvation prayer. We're going to, we're, we're going to celebrate with you. If you are here and you said, I've got family members and friends and co-workers that don't know God, and I need the courage to witness to them, not someday, soon, this week. I need the power. God, give me the words. I want you to come to this side of the church. Just kneel down, stand up, just seek God. God, open my heart. Show me, open the door. Let them ask me, whatever it takes, do something, God. Spur me on to witness. So if you need courage to witness, I want you over here. If you raise your hand and you need to accept Christ, I want you over here. Right now, come quickly as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, right now, I open these altars up. Lord, there are those here that raise their hand that they want to give their heart to you today. And Lord, I want you to send your victory and send your power and send your anointing. Lord, let your mercy, let your grace, and let your goodness fill their lives, Lord Jesus. Lord, I want you to, to reach down, Lord, to those that are coming to pray for power to witness, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I want you to use them, Lord Jesus. Lord, not someday. I want you to use them soon, this week, Lord Jesus. Lord, I want you to allow them a passion for witnessing. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Just begin to seek out to God.